I hope you guys all have your Bibles. We're going to be in Galatians 3. I'm excited. There is a lot to cover in Galatians 3. And uh, some of it's going to be very interesting. Some of it's going to be boring. Some of it just might confuse you. Yeah. No, but I'm going to teach you guys this morning how to be a fool. Yep, I am an expert. How to be a fool in four easy steps. And, uh, you know, I'm going to ask the question this morning, what is the spiritual life? What is the spiritual life? And so maybe we'll get four aspects of the spiritual life that we can talk about this morning. And, uh, but ultimately, here we have the book of Galatians, and we are trying to understand the message and the flow, the train of thought in, in Galatians. And so that's going to take us deep into a discussion about Abraham and Moses and the, and the, the covenants. And so uh, I just want you to be prepared for that. You see, there's two things that are mentioned in our passage today, Galatians chapter 3, that have not been brought up yet in the book of Galatians. And so, like for instance, Abraham was not mentioned uh, up until this point. And so it's a theme, though, that's really important in Galatians. And this is the introduction of it today, as well as the Spirit. The Spirit hasn't been mentioned. The Holy Spirit hasn't been mentioned up until now in the book of Galatians. And, and so we're going to introduce that theme this morning. Uh, but first, let me tell you a story. We'll call the story The Crash. Uh, it may or may not be true. So about a week ago, <laughs> I was pulling out of a parking lot, CarQuest down there on uh, near Winding Way and Manzanita. And uh, my house is a little bit further down Manzanita, so I wanted to get from there all the way over to the turn lane, and I wanted to turn left onto Manzanita so I could go home. And... All these cars were coming down Winding Way and stopping at the red light. Of course, I wanted to get out. If I would have been faster, I could have got out before them. But they all just looked so imposing. And as they came and they started to pile, you know, and then they slowed down and they slowed down, and it seemed like nobody was going to let me in. And I was like, come on, just let me get over. I just want to get over. And so finally they all got stacked up, and this one guy said, Come on over. I mean, there was a little bit of room, but I was like, I think I can do it. I can do it. I can get home. I can get home faster. I've done this before. I know how my view, you know, I'm a good driver. And so I start to go across and in between all these cars. And, and I'm actually worried about turning right at the moment because I need to get into the turn lane. And, you know, the, all these cars are stacked up. And so I'm like, I want to make sure, I, you know, there's, if I have to accidentally go in the other opposing traffic. I don't want to do that, and I don't want to cut the guy's bumper off next to me, and so I'm looking over to the right as I'm turning right, and as soon as I get my nose out there, and this poor old lady and her Honda Civic, I ran into him. Now, my bumper, I know you're worried about my car, uh, just a tiny little scuff on the front of the bumper, uh, but her car. It had, you know, a gash in the front fender and a scrape along the door, and then, of course, it hit the passenger door behind that, too. But, you know, it kind of shook me up a little bit, and uh, she, she was upset with me, and uh, we ended up going over to a parking lot at Save Mart, and the highway patrol came over. And so there I was, you know, 
so frustrated, you know, that that happened, <laughs> that I did that. But I was, I was kind of really shook up by the whole experience, and uh, I got home, and it didn't take long for it to become a metaphor for me, when I realized that this crash, which was completely my fault, I had to sit there and think, I was like, was there any possibility that this wasn't my, no. You see, I assumed, though, that all the traffic was backed up so much that there wasn't a way that there was a car coming down that lane to turn left, but certainly there was. I don't know how she got there, but she was there, and she had the right to be there, and I just stuck my nose out there. So I told you that we would talk about the fool, <laughs> and, and I do think that there's something for, well, there was definitely something for me to learn there. And I think that there's something in general about fools to be discovered uh, in this situation. I mean, what do you guys know? Have you heard any sayings or do you have any thoughts? Like, what do you know about foolishness or the fool? Does anybody have any sayings that they've stored up? You got one? Yes. Yes, that's a good one. Who's the bigger fool? The fool or the fool who follows the, the fool? <laughs> or follows a fool? Anybody else? A fool and his money will soon be separated. Huh. I heard a fool and his money will soon be elected. <clears throat> I honestly didn't make that up. It was attributed to Will Rogers. Okay. There's no fool like an old fool. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to decide if that was an attack on me. <laughs> yeah. It does see. No. And this isn't the lady that I crashed into, I promise. But. But it's true that you can find a lot of fools when you're driving, right? All right, so I have to put myself in that boat. But you know, in our passage today, let's just read the very first few words, uh, Galatians 3, verse 1. You foolish Galatians. And here Paul is describing the Galatians as fools. A fool. I do have a couple other thoughts. You know, as I was thinking about myself a fool acts like his decisions, his choices, aren't going to affect other people. Right? A fool pays no attention to the way the ramifications of his choices and, and how it's going, you know, it, they, they take no heed. They ignore danger while looking at their desired end. They got their eyes on one thing. Meanwhile, there's a danger that lurks and they're just moving ahead because they got their eyes on one thing and they're not considering all the dangers. We had a little spilled. Was that soda? That's unfortunate. Was that coffee? That'd be the worst situation if that was coffee that spilled. You know, there, I, I heard some interesting quotes as it relates to the Galatians, and uh, one of them was uh, A fool barters what is true for a deception or for a lie. They'll just trade it, straight up trade something that. Let's go of what's most precious 
to pursue a mirage, this desired thing. It's like the, it's like the lure, you know, the lure for a fish, and it looks shiny and it looks desirable, but there, there's no attention to the hook that's sustaining that lure, that's holding it up, the hook that's inside. Assumes that everything is going to stay in order, everything's going to going to work out fine as they go ahead and pursue their dreams and chase their fancies. It was a metaphor for me because I kind of live my life sometimes kind of like I just like back everything up, like all these cars. I got one thing and I got the next thing and I got the next thing. And, I, and sometimes I'm just going, you know, and I'm like, look, there's a little opportunity for me. I'm going to get out there and I'm going to take this so that I can get to the next thing faster. And so, and then all of a sudden, boom, it all starts to, it all comes to a, to a head. And so I'm just going to use this one example of the busyness of our lives, my life, and, and realizing that I get so backed up and so uptight about where I'm going. And, and, and I'm assuming that everything is, you know, I'm in my suburban, I'm assuming everything's coming with me and everything's going to be fine and everything's going to stay in its lane and that my family's taken care of and that my kids are going to be happy and that they're going to know Jesus and they're going to love Jesus. I'm assuming all these things are going to just work out. I'm assuming that he's got, you know, the household. I'm assuming that my wife's good. I'm assuming that, um, you know, like, uh, this is just going to be able to sustain forever. I can just keep up the, the rat race. You know, that's just an example of one of the things that I felt God was challenging me with, is this, with this metaphor, because then all of a sudden, boom, it just hits you. The crash just hits you. You don't think it's coming, but that's why it's an accident. <laughs> I told the lady... It was an accident. And that made her feel so much better. <laughs> but that's what it is. You don't mean for your life to be destroyed. And so for me, it was a warning in several areas of my life. Jeff, what are you doing? What are you looking at? What are you focused on? And what's the real danger that you're really not paying attention? What's the most precious thing that you're assuming will be there and taken care of while you're pursuing this other stuff, and is it really going to be okay for you to ignore it? Well, you foolish Galatians. Let's read chapters uh, 3, verse 1 to 6. You foolish Galatians, who's hypnotized you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was vividly portrayed as crucified? I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now going to be made complete by the flesh? Did you suffer so much for nothing, if in fact it was for nothing? So then, Does God supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. So he says they're foolish. In fact, he says that, he's like, who's bewitched you? Has somebody somebody tricked you? Has somebody hypnotized you? It's like they were going along and they had experienced the Spirit, the receiving of the Spirit. In fact, Paul was so convinced that this was an argument that would stir them up because they could remember the impact of what the Spirit, of receiving the Spirit, of following Christ, those those moments of of believing 
and in, in its infancy, and he knew that that would hearken them back to what was most true, to an experience that they had. And they had this truth, and they saw the light, and they were following Jesus. And then it's like, it's like somebody came in and like put a spell on them. And suddenly it's like they weren't thinking anymore. There was no intellectual, cognitive reasoning for, for them to believe the things that they were hearing from the Judaizers, but they were nonetheless whatever they said. They weren't thinking about what they were doing. Have you ever been to the state fair, you know, and they're like, whenever I say this, raise your right arm. And they're like, you know, or like, your ear is drawn to this person's knee. And they're like, you know, and he's like, who's hypnotized you? Who's put this spell on you? Because this doesn't make any sense. They were willing to let go of what was most treasured and most precious to chase a, a mirage based on assumption. You know, in fact, they were willing, this is uh, not my words, but they were, yield, they were willing to willingly yield to persuasion what could not be extorted by persecution. So like in verse 4, it talks about, have you suffered so much for Christ? So much in vain for holding on to Christ, and then now you're just going to be like someone comes in and gives you a different thought, and you're just going to be like, oh yeah, okay, I'll follow that, I'll follow that thought. I'm going to build my life around this system. I'm going to adopt this set of moral code. It doesn't make any sense. It's so foolish. Here you are suffering for the gospel, and then you turn around and just like give it up. Walk away from it. What's going on? But we see here a couple of things about the Spirit. And so I want to talk about the spiritual life like I, like I suggested. And number one, we receive the Spirit. How? How do we receive the Spirit? It's here in Galatians 3 in the verses that we read. He said, how, I want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit? by the works of the law, or by hearing with faith? It's a rhetorical question. And so they receive the Spirit by hearing with faith. And we receive the Spirit by hearing. And when that hearing of the words of the gospel are met with faith and believing the words, and then there is a receiving of the Spirit. Number two, we continue to grow by hearing with faith. He asks, well, how are you going to reach maturity now? Is it going to be through the law? You're going to do that by your flesh now? And the rhetorical answer, it, it's, it's no. It, it's the Spirit who's actually going to take me from the place of belief and the infancy of no following Christ into maturity, into growth into what is next. It's not going to be by the flesh. It's not going to be by a code of, of, of laws that you can check off. It's going to be by His Spirit. We know from Paul's uh, writing in, in 1 Corinthians, he says that the Spirit is the one who reveals. The Spirit is the one who reveals spiritual truths. They're spiritually discerned. 
And we have to treasure those. The spiritual life is about treasuring rightly what is most precious. Treasure his truths above our own. The Spirit was God's blessing fulfillment. And that's the fourth thing. The Spirit was God's blessing fulfillment that I want to, we'll be talking about that in a little bit. But the Spirit is the means. If you go back to Galatians 2.20, two weeks ago, Kurt was talking about, and he was talking about the life we now live, we live by Christ in us. And he talks about Christ being crucified, and he says, I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives with me. I am crucified. Let's look at that. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so in Galatians 2.20, it talks about Christ living in us, and it's the Spirit is the means by which Christ can take residence in you. You might have heard, receive Jesus Christ into your heart. That's the idea, that he's promised his Spirit to be with us. In John 14, to be with us and to be in us, like a counselor. And it's that receiving of the Holy Spirit to dwell in us that is this amazing mystery that had been hidden for ages past. And we'll see that it is the blessing that was promised to Abraham. But before we leave this, what we have to see is this kind of connects Galatians 2, the end of 2, and and where we're going in Galatians 3, is that he says, how foolish can you be? Wasn't Christ clearly portrayed among you as crucified? Galatians 3, you foolish Galatians, who's hypnotized you before you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was vividly portrayed as crucified? This is what Paul brings them back to. He just said, I'm crucified with Christ. I no longer live. It's Christ who lives with me, uh, within me, and he who, who gave himself for me. And then he says, didn't I tell you? Don't you remember that Jesus Christ was crucified? You guys saw it almost as if there was, it it was almost like you had undeniable evidence. It was like you experienced, when I I explained it to you, the Spirit, you, you saw it. Jesus Christ being crucified is the, it brings us back to the heart. We can get off on all sorts of things, but it's when Jesus Christ and him crucified that you start to think about and ponder, it changes everything. You see, they were hypnotized because of a lure, and there's a lure that was real, and it's just as real to us, like they didn't actually see Jesus Christ crucified on a cross, and neither did you. You're like a Galatians in the sense that you've heard a message, a message from Paul, 
But Christ has clearly been portrayed, vividly portrayed as crucified. And you have believed and you've received it with faith. You're filled with an inexpressible and a glorious joy. But there's a lure, just like the Galatians, that can take your eyes off of the cross and off of Jesus Christ crucified. Because think about it. There is a great, strong pull for, from the self, for self-righteousness or for self-mastery. There's a pride that many flourish in, in the ability to do things their way. They got it figured out. The pride of life. The centrality of the crucified Messiah is the, the big level-setting story, the, big, the picture that centers us back. So let's begin our discussion on Abraham, okay? Verse 6, we have Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, all right? So in verses, you know, this whole next section, he's going to be diving into Abraham. But let's start with Genesis 15, okay? We're going to read that together, verses 1 through 7. Here's Abraham. It says, after these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abraham said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Abraham continued, look, you've given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him. This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look at the uh, sky and count the stars, if you can. And he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am Yahweh who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. So there's a connection in the first five verses of, of Galatians 3 and with the rest of this argument from 6 to 14, and that's the idea of believing, hearing with faith. And the question is, we're, we're, we're asking what is the means that the Spirit entered them? Was it on the, the work of the law or the basis of believing what they had heard? But all of it's brought back in this next section, brought back to the test of faith. All right, so the leading theme of this section, however, is the blessing of Abraham, particularly the fact that the Abrahamic blessing is, includes the Gentiles. That's what he wants to try to get out. That's what he's trying to uncover. All right, so in presenting the case, okay, Paul seeks to put the record straight regarding Abraham. So he uses verses 6 to 9 to highlight what was really the situation, what was really going on with Jerusalem. You see, he's actually in this whole section taking arguments that he's heard the Judaizers say, and he's, he's using some of their language, and he's going to the verses that they're referring to, and he's trying to Here's, here, you know, it's almost like Jesus. You've heard it said, but let me tell you. You know what I mean? And Paul's refuting one by one all these objections that he was hearing from the Judaizers, this group. So, there, I mean, there's really too much for us to, to get. We can't go into all of them. 
but we will look at some of the references back to the Old Testament and talk about some of the things that the, uh, the Judaizers were, were saying. So the Judaizers were trying to focus on being rightly related to Abraham, saying, focusing on the fact that it's because of the part of the blessing that talks about in Abraham and in his seed, trying to follow their, their lineage uh, even maybe to Abraham. It's all about in Abraham. And Paul's trying to say, no, 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 no. What about the part of the blessing that says, all nations will be blessed? And so they're kind of coming at it from different directions, and Paul's attempt is to make it clear to the Galatians where they need to be focused. And so, so here we are, verse 7. All right, so it says in verse 7, then understand. Then understand. It's kind of like a command, but also like, so duh. So you can see clearly that, right? That those who have faith are Abraham's sons. Those who have faith are Abraham's son. How many of you guys like camping? All right, I like camping. Some of my favorite memories of camping are when I was younger and Memorial Weekend, uh, we would always sit around the campfire with my cousins and like cousins and their friends. And one of the songs that we loved to sing was Father Abraham. Had been. I thought about asking you to do that, but I, was de- I decided this. The, the test was, if Gene Potratz was here, then we were certainly going to sing Father Abraham. Because Papa Gene Poe was the best person to ever sing Father Abraham with. Raise your hand if you've ever seen Papa Gene. All right, good. All right, good. So here's, here's what happens when Papa Gene sings Father Abraham. He gets the right arm going. And he gets the left arm going, and he gets the left, right leg and the left leg, and he's spinning around. And then, no, no doubt, when you get to the end, many sons of Father Abraham, Father Abraham. And he's like, I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. And then when he sits down, there's another demolished aluminum chair. <laughs> and you don't know whose chair it was going to be, but you knew if somebody's going to lose a chair this trip when Papa Gene sings Father Abraham, because when he sat down, it just couldn't handle it. But that's what's important about our passage today, is that Paul wants to make clear that the sons of Abraham are all of those who have faith. All right? We are going to look at verse 8. Now, the Scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and told the good news ahead of time to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed through you so that those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. So I want to go to another part in Genesis. This is Genesis 12, and it's during that call, the initial call on Abraham to leave his, his uh, home. Uh, Galatians 12 Verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives, your father's house, to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and I will give you 
and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people he had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. Okay? That's when Paul, or yeah, Paul refers to that where it says here, the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and told the good news ahead of time to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. There's a, a large section. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip it. If you want to talk more about Abraham and what I learned about what the rabbis uh, were, were teaching to the Jewish, uh, to the Jewish people throughout uh, history, there's just like, it's kind of interesting because it, it does kind of shed some light on what, uh, why Paul um, says some of the things that he does. But I think that you don't necessarily have to know what the rabbis were teaching them in order to get the point. I still think that it's, it's plain in, in what it says. Like, for instance, the, the rabbis would focus that, like, that Abraham's faith wasn't just as simple as Genesis 17, when he believed God and accredited it as righteousness. And they'll focus how on later in Genesis 17 that Abraham received the circumcision, which was going to be a sign of the covenant. It was going to identify him as uh, one of God's people. And, uh, and so they coupled these two things together and said it's not about uh, faith, it's about faith, and then your doing, your works, your uh, following the commands of, of God and fulfilling them completely. <laughs> and Paul comes in and says, wait a second, wasn't it in Genesis 15, before chapter 17 even happened, that Paul, God says, it was because of his faith, his believing, that it was credited to him as righteousness. And that's Paul's argument. All right? And there's a lot of tidbits like that, and we're going to keep moving. Verse 9. So, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham, who had faith. And so Paul kind of rounds off the passage showing that as a plain matter of fact, it's the faith people, the people of faith that are indeed at this moment enjoying the blessing of God just as much as trusty Abraham is, okay? So the, the, the thing is, this whole business of relying on the law is a little bit nearsighted. It has its own flaws. So we're going to move into verses 10 to 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. So let's read 10. Let's just go one at a time. It's a series of, of quotes referring back to Old Testament passages. So Galatians 3.10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Because it's written. Everyone who does not continue doing everything 
written in the book of the law is cursed. And that's from Deuteronomy 27, where it says, anyone who does not put the words of this law into practice is cursed. And all the people will say, amen. And so there was this idea that Paul's noting that they believed that you had to obey the law in its entirety. Otherwise, you're cursed. Verse 11, now it's clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. And that's a quote from Habakkuk 2.4. Look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity. But the righteous one will live by his faith. Verse 12, but the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does these things will live by them. Obeying the law isn't a system built on faith. The one who does these things will live by them. Paul says, well, he quotes Leviticus 18.5, which says, Keep my statutes and ordinance. A person will live if he does them. I am Yahweh. And Paul uses that to describe that it's not life, eternal life. It's not life that you get by obeying the law. So Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, everyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. Interesting. Deuteronomy 21.23 says, you are not to leave his corpse on the tree overnight, but you're to bury him at day. For anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. You must not defile the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Let's talk a little bit more about verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? How has Christ redeemed us, bought back us from the law, brought us back from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us? By becoming a curse for us because he died and he was willing to be hung on a tree, a stick. And it talks about in Deuteronomy, oh, that's, that is the curse. And we know that at that moment when Jesus was dying on the cross, and that, that moment when the Father looks away and Christ, Christ calls out these words, he's like, God, why have you forsaken me? And there's this separation, there's this, this dark, dark, heavy, weighty, moment in corinthians and i just use the words that it says uh he who had no sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of god and that's interesting to think of christ as a curse or christ as sin but that's because he 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 was willing to bear that shame, and that disgrace. You know what's amazing about it is that in Hebrews we learn that he was willing for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. In verse 14 it says the, the purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles 
by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised Spirit through faith. And this is a kind of a shift in Paul's thought, or it, it helps us really see that this is the shift that he's been making. Because he could have said, the purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to Gentiles by Jesus Christ so that we could receive justification through faith. He's made that point. He made that at the end of chapter 2. But he's saying so that we could receive the promised spirit. The promised spirit. That's why all this has happened. That's why he went to the cross. So that he could send his spirit. So that you could enjoy the fellowship of having his eternal, all part, like his being within us. And that we have the opportunity, the power to live by the spirit, in step with the spirit. And that's going to be unfolded in the rest of our book the book of Galatians. We're going to talk about the benefits of living in the Spirit and what it does for us and how we ought to live there and what the the fruits of the Spirit. I mean, all that stuff's coming up. But we can't miss this. That the purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised Spirit through faith. All right, well, it's... A way of transitioning into our final section, let me read this statement, okay? This is from the Holman Handbook. So, those who try to attain righteousness through observing the law are cursed, according to the law itself. Fortunately, Christ's death on the cross, in which he was cursed for us, according to the law, provided the payment by which anyone might receive the blessing of Abraham and the Holy Spirit by faith. But we have a few more verses, okay? 15 to 18, and that's going to be our last section. And I'll just read it through. It says, Brothers, I'm using a human illustration. No one sets aside or makes additions to even a human covenant that has been ratified. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. And he does not say, and a seeds, as though referring to many, but referring to one, and to your seed, who is Christ. And I say this. The law, which came 430 years later, does not revoke a covenant that was previously ratified by God and canceled the promise. For if the inheritance is from the law, it is no longer from the promise, but God granted it to Abraham through the promise. All right, you guys got that? It's a little bit dense, right? But here's what's happening. Paul's trying to say, look, God gave Abraham a covenant early, early on, before Moses, before he went to Mount Sinai, before he got the Ten Commandments, and before the law was written. Abraham believed God and received the promise. He was promised to be a blessing to all people, all nations, and it happened through faith by believing in a promise. And there was a covenant. And so the Judaizers are trying to, well, Paul's pointing out the flaw in their logic. Are you Judaizers really trying to say that Moses' law was the fulfillment of this great promise? That there was no future 
it doesn't go beyond the law. Once the law came, that that was going to satisfy everything. Does that really satisfy the Abrahamic covenant to you, Judaizers? That's what Paul's trying to point out. Because it took 430 years for Moses to come along. It was a promise, and it was faith in the promise by which Abraham received righteousness. And so it's a promise that we're clinging to today. The promise, and that's how you receive it, by faith. So, I think in conclusions we can just say, really, this all is, the the most powerful about this is that you have an opportunity to sit here. And what I mean is, you have the opportunity to be a son of Abraham. Because it's by faith, it's by believing, it's by choosing Jesus and what he's done over your own way. Because those who receive righteousness and receive the Spirit are those who have done it by faith, accepting what he's done, and they've looked to the cross. And when they get off track, they go back to the cross. And then they sit as a child of God. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, there's smart people, Lord, that have studied it, and I could, I could learn from them. Uh, as as I've, I've shared with the congregation this morning, what, what I've, I've learned, I just ask that you would help us to treasure you and that we would not let go of our hope that we have in Christ, the Messiah, and that we would experience the blessing of Abraham and the spirit that you've given us. So Lord, I ask that you would help us move and repent from our sin and our waywardness so that we could live in the, the blessedness of, of, being, of standing in your grace, of being washed, of being renewed, of having access to you. And I pray that the cross of Christ this morning would draw us towards yourself. In your name we pray, amen.